chapter 13. Thank you. Luke chapter 13, looking at verse from verse 10. Now, we believe as, as Christians, as, as fundamental Christians, that the Bible is inspired. Do we not? We do. We believe that it is authoritative and we believe that God put this stuff in the Bible for us. So when we read the scriptures, whenever you read the Bible, you should always ask yourself the question, why is this passage here? What is God trying to tell us here? What is he trying to tell me here? Now, why did he put this bit in the Bible? But we should also ask ourselves the question, why is this passage here? Why is this passage in this spot in the Bible? Because I believe that not only the information in the Bible is, is inspired, but where it is in the Bible is inspired. And that in fact that has a very important bearing on understanding it. That this passage is put between two other passages for a reason. And we're going to look at three things here today. We're going to look at a story in a synagogue. And we're going to look at two parables. And I believe that the whole three of them form a unit and that those stories and those parables are put in this particular order for a reason. That they're not just randomly ascribed. I mean, some of the things in the Bible, it's pretty obvious why they're there. I mean, you know, Second John. Well, putting it between 1 John and 3 John, that's a bit of a no-brainer. That's, that's where it goes. But sometimes it can be a bit difficult to understand why something is in a particular place. Matthew, well, he, he gets things and he, he tends to say, okay, here's a bunch of parables that Jesus taught. Here's a bunch of miracles that Jesus did. Here's a bunch of sermons that Jesus preached. He, that's how he arranges his, his material. Mark, I, I challenge you to have a look at Mark at the subject of causation. That Jesus did things because of certain other things. There's a lot of relationships in Mark that Jesus did something because something else happened. So the causation in Mark. Luke has his own agenda. And we'll have a look at that now. So before we go further into the scriptures, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask you now, Lord, that you would open the Bible to us. Teach us, we pray. Instruct us from your holy word. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 13, starting at verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Okay. You ever wondered how he got to permission? You know, how did he, did he just wander in there and, and start? I'll, 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 I'll give you an example. Have a look over in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And it's a story about Paul in a synagogue. So Acts chapter 13, verse 14. Acts 13, 14. But when they departed from Pergia, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. 
And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Okay. Now, if you were a famous teacher or rabbi and you came into a synagogue, after the reading of the law and the prophets, the, uh, the ruler of the synagogue, recognising you, would say, If you have something to say to these people, please come up and speak. And, you know, you can imagine an invitation like that to Paul going, Right! <laughs> Do I have something to tell you? But this would be a, not an uncommon thing, especially if you were a well-known speaker, a well-known preacher. And look, you could even imagine this happening in a, in a church like ours. If, if some person that we knew were a very good speaker and a, 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 a very well-learned people person came in, our Pastor Frank would come to and say, look, if you've got a word to say to the people, please feel free. So that's one thing that happened. And as Jesus' fame grew, no doubt when he went into a synagogue, the people would expect him to speak. But there's another thing to remember, and I would suggest turn back a couple of chapters to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Luke 10.1 says, And after these things the Lord appointed seventy also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place whither he would come. So no doubt some of these speakings in the synagogues were prearranged. The two disciples would come into a village that had a synagogue. They would speak to the rulers of the synagogue, to the equivalent of the pastor and deacons, and they would say, Jesus of Nazareth, you've heard about him. He's going to be in this village in two Sabbath days time. And the people would say, yeah, let's, let's organise for him to speak then. And perhaps, and, uh, you know, one of the wealthier people of the village would say, hey, you know, after, after uh, synagogue on Saturday morning, uh, you know, Sabbath lunch at my place and I'll hear more of him. So this was organised all ahead of time. So that's, that's the situation we're looking at. And Jesus has come into a synagogue on the Sabbath and taught. And we know nothing about what he said. <laughs> Isn't this interesting? We, we know he was in a synagogue, we know he was teaching, and what he said has been completely not, not mentioned, not recorded. So we're left now to this point. And verse 11, And behold... There was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. This was a woman who was hunched over. Now some might say, well, that's a case of uh, curvature of the spine. But it's recorded here that this was a problem that Satan had afflicted her with. Now whether it was a disease that he had brought upon her or whether it was some other mechanism but Satan had afflicted this woman with this infirmity that she was hunched over and could in no wise lift herself up for 18 years. Terrible thing to have happen to you unable to work properly, unable to, to move properly and hunched over for this long time. Now, was she a believer? I believe she was. Because we find further down 
in verse 19 that Jesus refers to her as a daughter of Abraham implying that she was not only just a physical descendant of Abraham that she was Jewish I mean you know I, wow that that would be surprising finding a Jewish woman in a synagogue no I think he's he's saying that this woman was a spiritual daughter of Abraham that she shared the faith of Abraham that she believed in the God of Abraham and yet had been afflicted by Satan these 18 years you know we're not remember we're not talking about possession here this woman is not possessed she is afflicted there is a difference a big big difference this woman had a physical problem which Satan had afflicted her with and so he, he sees her verse 12 Jesus saw her and called her unto him and said unto her woman thou art loosed from thine infirmity and, and he laid his hands upon her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God Ah, and you think yes this is this is just a, almost just another healing miracle that Jesus did he did so many what's so special about this why has God chosen to record this story in preference to all the other ones remember that John said if all the things that, Je that Jesus said and did were recorded you couldn't write enough books to fill it all so what's so important about this well there are several things that are important about this and firstly it is the reaction of the ruler of the synagogue now notice verse 14 the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation he was upset but who did he criticize who did he talk to he was answered with indignation because that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day and he said unto the people now isn't that interesting he doesn't tackle Jesus he doesn't go up to Jesus and say you shouldn't have healed her that would have been shall we say unwise because we've seen how Jesus dealt with people who had criticized him in the past that they tended to be rebuked and put in their place very very sharply he couldn't go up and criticize the woman he couldn't go up to her and say you shouldn't have been healed because she wouldn't have been particularly happy with that would she here's 18 years of suffering and sickness removed and he's saying it shouldn't be done so he speaks to the people and he says there are six days in which men ought to work in them and therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day you shouldn't be healed on the Sabbath day why not because healing is work healing is work now I'll just put it to you like that if I gave you the ability to go down to the Austin Hospital spinal unit and heal them all 
and have them walk out and be doing playing leapfrog with the polio patients and playing hoppo bumpo with the paralytics would you consider that work would you consider that a burden would you consider that something that you had to drag yourself along to do would you consider it something you should be paid for no healing is not work it's fun it's a rejoicing it's a glorious thing it's a thing to be excited about so when jesus heals someone the guy's wrong for starters because it's not work secondly jesus answered him and said you hypocrite and i thought oh no he's he, he's just starting to get wound up now jesus hated hypocrites of all the things that he, he disliked most upon the earth hypocrisy came up at number one this was something that really got our lord annoyed and he said you hypocrite he said doesn't each one of you on the sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to be watered now watering an animal is considered work okay there's no doubt about that it's not something you want to do it's not something you enjoy doing it's something you have to do and normally someone has to get you know it, it's a trade you do this you get that but they said that you could unloose your ox or your ass from the stall take them out and you could even draw up the water out of the well and water the animal and it was not considered work provided you didn't carry the water to the animal you had to lead the animal to the water okay they were picky about that but you could even do that and you could draw the water up out of the well and water your animal why because it says in the scriptures that a righteous person considers the welfare and the life of their animal so to be righteous was to provide for your stock even if it meant doing it on the sabbath day and they said that's the right thing to do and it's not considered work you haven't broken the sabbath and jesus said in verse 16 ought not this woman being a daughter of abraham whom satan hath bound bound low these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the sabbath day aren't people even more important than animals if we say it's right to look after an animal on the sabbath surely it's more important to look after people and the ruler of the synagogue at least did something smart and shut up when he had said these things all his adversaries were ashamed and all the people rejoiced for the glorious things that were done there now so far we think okay yeah well that's a that's a healing story and there's you know uh, opposition to jesus well we're used to this one complaints about him doing things on the sabbath we've seen those before so far a, a, a nice you know, neat little package then he tells two parables and i put it to you that these two parables are an integral part of this section of scripture that they connect to it and they explain it and the parables explain help explain what's happened 
And what's happened helps explain the parables. That they are woven together in a, in a whole. Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? What is the kingdom of heaven? You ever, you know, it's a term used in the Bible, the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? Well, let's put it in a context we can understand. Um, what is the kingdom of Great Britain? Well, it consists of a bunch of countries that owe their allegiance to the Queen. Okay, we can understand that. Do all those countries always get on? No. Are some of those countries sometimes a bit angry with Britain? Think of Northern Ireland a few years ago. Think of uh, Rhodesia a few years earlier than that. Think of in 1770, uh, America. So sometimes there is wars within the kingdom. And sometimes areas of the kingdom are not exactly friendly with the king. But they are all part of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom, or the kingdom of heaven, is that area which nominally says we are under God. Okay? So it consists of heaven where God rules and it consists of that area on earth which says yeah we belong to God that would include this church wouldn't we consider ourselves under God yeah lots of other churches would say yes we're part of God's kingdom and some of them we'd look at and we go oh really you consider yourself part of the kingdom of God? And they go, yeah, we do, we do. And we'd say, but we disagree with you on certain what we consider pretty important issues. And your guys are doing things that we really don't consider that proper. And so the kingdom of God is, is that area that says it belongs to God, whether it really does or not, and whether it's in alignment with God or not, it says it does. Hence the kingdom of God contains some good things and some bad things. It tends to be a bit of a mixed bag, a bit like that's why one of the examples and the parables of it, it's like a big net that you throw into the ocean, you drag out the fish and some fish you say, oh that's good, and some fish you go, oh, I'm not going to eat that. And there's good and bad mixed up in it. So he says, unto what is the kingdom of God like? And whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. Now, mustard seed. Mustard seed was proverbial for being small, tiny, in fact, over in, in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 31, it's referred to as the smallest of all the seeds. 
Well, it, okay, it's not literally the tiniest seed in the world. But it was the smallest seed that people normally handled. Okay, that's what he's getting at. It's the smallest seed that people normally got their, their hands on. So he said, it's the small seed, the little one, the mustard seed, that someone threw into a garden and it grew. Now, I've thrown things into gardens and sometimes they grow and sometimes they don't. I, I think this the, the important thing that's getting here is it starts really, really small. That's the whole point about the mustard seed. It starts small. And it says that it grew into a great tree. Mm, mustard doesn't grow into trees. I'm sorry, but mustard seed doesn't grow into trees. So it's an unusual growth that's here. It's not a normal growth that we're talking about here. So it grew up into a tree or a bush and all the birds lodged in the branches of it. And you go, so? You know, a man plants a seed, it grows into a tree, and birds come and live in it. So? Okay. Remember, we, we've looked at some of the things in, in parables and, and in allegories, what they mean. Remember we've done that before? We're going to have another look at some more later on. What do birds represent in parables and visions? Okay. We'll have a look at, at, at a couple of, of, of things. What, what do birds represent in parables and visions? Revelation 18. Revelation 18, verse 2. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. Not a good rap for birds in visions, is there? They're aligned there with, with foul spirits, demons and every unclean and hateful thing. Hmm, not good. Let's have a look at the other end of Scripture. Go over to, to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. This is the story of Joseph in jail. Genesis chapter 40. Joseph in jail. And he's interpreting the dreams of the butler and the baker. Verse 16 of Genesis chapter 40. And when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I also was in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head, and the uppermost basket was all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, shall hang thee on a tree, and the bird shall eat thy flesh off thee. Incidentally, it did come to pass. That's what happened. Uh, birds, not a good rap there for birds either. And if you look back, say, at Genesis chapter 8, sorry, not Genesis, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 5. 
Luke 8 is the parable of the sower. Sower sowing the seed. The seed is the word of God. In Genesis, in, in Genesis, keep saying Genesis. Luke 8, 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. The interpretation is given in verse 12. It says, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Birds in visions are not good things. They are aligned with demons, foul and unclean things, death and demons. So I would put it to you that the kingdom of heaven is being regarded here as something that grew very quickly and became inhabited by foul and unclean spirits. And really, you don't have to look too far in the church today to find some foul and unclean things happening in churches. And we won't go into details, but you only have to look at the number of priests and brothers and reverends who've been hauled before the courts and sometimes not getting their just desserts, having committed foul and unclean things under the cover of the church of God. Not a good thing. And Jesus says that's what's happened. It should have been a good thing and it's become inhabited by foul and unclean things. Then he says, then again he said, whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven. Now if you were here in my sermon on bread, you'll remember this one. It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal until the whole was leavened. Remember, what does a woman represent in visions? A religious system. Not necessarily good or bad. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. But she represents a religious system. The kingdom of heaven is like a religious system where something... And remember how they, they, they got the leaven? They took some of the old dough that they'd baked with the day before and they mix it in with the new flour. It's like a religious system that takes old things and mixes it in with the new until the whole lot gets spread together. To my mind, this is a picture of a religious system that takes the law and traditions and rules and mixes them in together with the truth of the gospel until it permeates through the whole thing. Again, we can see that happening in churches where, the, the, where legalism and rules and, and you have to do this and you have to do that are pushed in together with the gospel and it happened early. Paul was continually complaining about these Judaizers who came in and said, you have to keep the law of Moses, you have to do this. And he said, no, it's not the way it is. The gospel is free and full of grace and mercy. So we say, okay, what's the connection? These two parables teach what happens to religious systems over time. What happens to churches 
over time. And it, te it teaches what happened to the synagogue right here where he's talking. What happened to them? The synagogue was put up as a place where people could meet and worship and, and, and hear the, the law and the prophets taught and, and get instruction and fellowship together and worship and serve God. That was the whole purpose of it. Pretty much like a church is here. And what happened was these people had come in and the rules and the laws and the thou shalt and thou shalt not had so weighed down the people... And if you're starting to see a connection here, yes. They'd weighed the people down that they'd become hunched over and unable to serve God just like this woman in the first story. Can you see how the thread runs through? Why was that woman healed? Because she was a perfect picture of what had happened within the synagogue itself, what had happened in the nation of Israel, and what would happen in the church later on, that the people would get bowed down and weighed down by these oppressions of Satan, which is what these laws and rules had become, and were unable to serve God as they should. As I said, the the situation in the synagogue and the two parables all sewn together into the one principle that's being taught here. But I want you to look. There is an important thing to realise here. One, there is relief available. At the word of God, at the word of Christ, he says, woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And to people, individuals, and to churches, Christ says, you are loose from your infirmity and there is no reason to remain bound. Anybody who comes to Christ, he says, you are loose and you are free from this burden and from this intolerable weight that's been put upon you. Anybody have read Pilgrim's Progress? The very first thing that happens to Pilgrim is the weight of the sin on him rolls off. It rolls down the hill, it vanishes into an empty tomb and he sees it no more. That is the promise of God which is available to everybody who will listen to the word of Christ. He says, you are loosed from your burden. But have a look at what happened. Drop back up to verse 12. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. Does she stand up? No. Because then he laid his hands on her and immediately he was, she was made straight. You know what it is? People hear that message, you are loosed, you are free. And they don't believe it. They've spent so long under the weight of sin and they've spent so long under the oppression of Satan that they hear it, but they go, no, I can't do it. It is not until the touch of Christ comes on their lives that they straighten up and are free 
properly. Now I will, I will guarantee those 11 kids at camp who got saved, I will pretty well guarantee that wasn't the first time they'd heard the gospel. I reckon they had. They'd heard the message, but were they free? Well, they heard the message, they'd been told, it was there, they understood it, but it wasn't till Christ touched their lives and their hearts that something changed. And how true it is that we can preach and we can teach and we can witness, but if God does not touch the person, nothing happens. There's a, uh, one of the hymns in our hymn book says, talks about preaching the word and it says, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. How true that is. All the words and the teaching and the preaching you can do is vain and empty unless the power of God is there to raise people up and to touch their lives. Where are you today? Are you living bowed under the oppression of Satan? Have you never heard the words of Christ, Thou art loosed from thine infirmity? Is this the first time it's come through to you? Or perhaps you've heard it many times, but this is the first time that the finger of God has reached out and touched your heart and you've realised the truth of it. Respond today. Be healed. Be changed. Turn yourself to the one who has loosed you from the infirmity of your life by the power of his own blood. Or perhaps, maybe you're in a church that's become the haunt of every foul and unclean creature and you recognise that. Leave it. You are loosed from the burden of that. Find yourself a place where the word of God is preached. The word of God is taught. Stay no longer in these situations. When Christ touched this woman, she became straight. When Christ touches lives, they become straight. When Christ touches churches, they become straight. Will you let him touch your life? He says to you, you are loosed from your infirmity. But are you living that way? Has the, the master touched your life today? If he has, respond. Talk to somebody. Talk to our pastor. Talk to me. And we will tell you, of the liberty that there comes in Christ. Thank you.